0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show, and Happy New Year. So you're trying, right? You're working really hard on your career and your financial goals and working really hard on that relationship and working really hard on meditating and thinking only positive thoughts. But you keep slipping. You keep wondering why you're slipping. And every time you slip, you feel more uncertain, more shameful, and more resistant to trying. But you have to keep trying, right? Because to not try means you're, what, a failure, a jerk? But what if you could achieve the results you wanted without trying? And what if there were results that you haven't even considered that come from not trying? Yeah, right. What are you selling, right? Well, let's just stay in what if for a moment and consider what the sacred texts and what initiations from mystic practices around the globe have to say about trying. You want to stay here for this whole show. It might be a a wake-up call. So this whole thing of trying, you know, we talk to people about um Um, getting something done, and the first thing we hear them say is, I'll try. And then what we want to say is, well, don't try, do it. You know, don't try, do. But, uh, you know, and there's a commitment there that comes with uh, when you say, I'm trying, it gives you a little way out. It gives you a little, well, maybe I won't get it done, but I've tried. And then when somebody calls me on the fact that I didn't get it done, I can say, well, I tried. Um, so trying gives us a kind of a, a backdoor uh, in that sense, and so yes, we do need to commit to actually getting stuff done. So this this show will not be about telling you that you don't have to commit to get stuff done, okay? <laughs> but it will be uh, about this whole issue of what it means to try, and in particular with regard to spirituality, because we've been um, we've been taught. And have learned that being good and trying to overcome the parts of us that are not good, uh, we've been taught that that's a way to be spiritual. We've also been taught that we want to get rid of ego and live into the higher self, and that's a way of being spiritual. And we've been taught that we should think only positive thoughts and feel only positive feelings, and that that's a way of being spiritual. And so, when when it comes to this thing of spirituality, we got a whole lot of trying to do. We got a whole lot of work that we got to do. I mean, we got to be good, or we've got to get rid of ego. Wow, that's a tremendous task. And then, if that, you know, if if we're not doing those things, then we've got to really be thinking positive thoughts at all times, feeling only positive feelings at all times. And then and only then will the universe give us what we truly want. So, yeah, I'm tired already. How about you? Well, this whole thing of trying flies in the face of a passage from Psalms that says, cease striving to know that I am God. I interpret that to mean cease striving to know that I am, that Andrea is God, that you are God, that all of us are God. In other words, we don't know how divine we actually are until we stop trying. So all the efforts and energy we're putting into getting rid of ego are a waste of time. All the efforts and energy we're putting into thinking only positive thoughts and only having only positive feelings are a waste of time. And all of the effort and energy we're putting into being good people so that we won't be the bad people we suspect we are, that's a waste of time too. Now, I know that I just flew in the face of everything you've ever been taught and everything that we we believe at our, our you know, almost down to our core – We believe, or maybe I should say down to our toenails because it's really not in our core. um, We believe that we have to do these things. I mean, come on. You can't just sit and do nothing. Well, I'm not recommending sitting and doing nothing. Let me be clear about that. Um, And we'll talk some more about what it is specifically that I am recommending with regard to this whole thing of effort. But uh, we're going to talk about that later in the show. So you want to hang in here for that. but But I... uh, but I do think that we're, we've got some confusion about what, we, what it is that we're really supposed to be doing here. Every one of the scenarios I just told you, all three of those, where we're supposed to be good people and not, not become the bad people we suspect we are under it all, where we are supposed to think only positive thoughts and feel only positive feelings, where we are to get rid of ego, each one of those scenarios is based in duality. The duality concept is that I am separate from the divine. The divine is separate from me. The divine is basically uh, far, far away in this uh, surreal world uh, where everything is bliss and happiness. And I live down here on this planet where suffering and pain and, and occasional joy exists. And I have to find a bridge. I have to find some way to get me from here to there. Otherwise, I feel empty and lost and alone. And that paradigm has been the one we have lived out of for centuries. But a shift is beginning to take place in our consciousness where we're beginning to understand that that paradigm isn't true. And if it's not true in the old traditional religions, it's not true in the modern, more uh, up-to-date spiritual concepts either. So when we change the language and think we've changed the concept, it's still the same concept. When we say... When we change it from, I've got to be a good person, not a bad person, to, I've got to think only positive thoughts and feel only positive feelings, we're saying the same thing. When we, when we change it from, I've got to be a good person instead of a bad person, to, I've got to get rid of ego and live into my higher self, we're saying the same thing. Okay? that The language has changed, but the concept is exactly the same. There's something wrong with me that I've got to get fixed. Okay? Now, we have plenty of evidence to support that, that idea that out in the world there's this evidence all around us with people sick, getting sick and dying and our own suffering. And, and, and we certainly see that there are people out there doing all kinds of things that are sticky and gummy and unethical and downright illegal and all kinds of things. We've known those people. We've worked with those people. We've been related to those people. We know they're out there. So, how can you sit here and say that I don't have to try and be good? Well, I can sit here and say that because there's another whole reality other than the duality trance state we've lived in for centuries. And the duality trance state convinces us because it is self-perpetuating, evidentiary um, convincing that it cycles back against itself. So, I need to believe that I'm good because I can see there's bad in the world and if there's bad in the world, there must be bad in me, so therefore I need to be good. And, and I go out into the world trying to be good, but there's so much bad in the world and I can't overcome that. So I've got to maybe sometimes be a little bad to overcome the, uh-oh, now I'm in trouble. i got to go back to being good. And we're in this vicious cycle. And it's exactly the same way with thinking positive thoughts and feeling positive feelings. It's exactly the same way with trying to get rid of ego. We're in a cycle. That we can't win because in every one of those scenarios, we are fighting against ourselves. And any time you square off against yourself, you lose because you're on either side of it. One side of you or the other is going to lose. And once one side loses, well, it's got to pop back up to, to regain some balance. Um, the psyche is always looking for homeostasis. There will never be a time when good will win over evil because if, if, if good wins over evil, do you really think evil is going to lay there and just go away? <laughs> it's not going to happen. If evil has any energy at all, it will come back because that's the nature of evil as it, we've decided it is, right? So, we can't win. We can't, we, you know, we can't think always positive thoughts. That's ridiculous. That's like saying don't think about that pink elephant in the room. Don't, don't think about a drink of water. Don't think about that cigarette you want. Don't think about these things. Just stop thinking about them. What happens is you start thinking about them the minute you said stop thinking about them. <laughs> if I say to you, there's a pink elephant in the room, the first thing that comes into your mind is the image of a pink ele- elephant. So we're not going to be able to, to make our brains stop doing what they do. Um, and we're not going to be able to make our emotions stop feeling what we call negative emotions there is, first of all, there is no such thing as a negative emotion. But what we call a negative emotion is something that's difficult, like fear or anger or sorrow or, um, or um, uh, well, I guess all of those, those that covers pretty much the gamut of, of other feelings that are like those. Um, it, we don't want these hard feelings. They're hard for us. And so we call them negative and we say, let's just send them away. Well, what happens is when we try to send them away is they go into the unconscious. And they stay there until there's a little crack in the door and they come rushing out through that crack and inform the world that they're there, even though we might not even realize that we have just expressed that emotion, the world sees it. Our shadow material is very often very visible to the world, even though we think we have hidden it way down deep in the psyche so nobody can see it, not even us. But it leaks out. And it's always going to because it has an energy. It's not just going to sit there. It's not a thing we like a Pen we can pick up and move from one spot to another and it stays there it's not like that emotions have energy and they do what they will they don't do what we will so they find a way out and the whole point of having an emotion be it a hard emotion or an easy emotion is that we learn something we gain something we hear the message that it has to offer us and and we take that in as, it, as it's an important message So if I'm feeling angry about something, I might need to solve a problem in my life. If I'm afraid of something, I might need to either take that fear very seriously and honor it or come to understand that it's irrational and thereby grow. If I'm feeling uh, intense sorrow, maybe it's something I'm letting go of and I need to be with that process. So when we tell ourselves not to feel these feelings, what we're saying is, I will not grow. And then we wonder why we're still like we were yesterday and last year and five years ago when we look back in our journals and we're, we see that today I wrote something and it looks just exactly like what I wrote five years ago. Why? Because we're stagnating. We're stagnating because we're trying not to feel. Why would we do that? Because we think that means we're going to be spiritual people. And because our teachers are teaching us that. And it's not true it 's not true that we 're supposed to go uh, make our emotions go away it 's not true that we 're supposed to try to control our brains we 're not supposed to try to control our thoughts we 're supposed to watch our thoughts to see what 's coming up with them and, and our thoughts are very informative about our emotions so if i 'm obsessed with something i 've got to do at work today, generally speaking, if I follow that pull on that string and just sort of follow it down the hall. It will lead me to a fear inside of me that will say, oh, I'm afraid that the boss is not going to like me, or I'm afraid of not pleasing people, or I'm afraid that I'm not going to be perfect, or I'm afraid. One of those things, something like that, is pushing it. And when it gets pushed, it's going to come up into our thoughts. So that's how thoughts and emotions are connected. And that's how we can find out what's really going on inside of us. And if we don't know what's going on inside of us, who's running our lives, that 's the whole deal, so if that that thing about emotions is so very important and and telling ourselves not to have those quote unquote negative emotions or quote unquote negative thoughts is tantamount to saying don't grow, stay stuck and on the other hand we uh, are many people are out there teaching that we need to be able to get rid of ego well first of all. Um, The definition of ego that's being used is sort of this other side of us that is um, negative, hostile, uh, afraid, inadequate, um, lost in some kind of agenda. Um, that's, that's, uh, That's what we think of as ego. It is the personality that we live out of with all of its foibles. And... So what we're saying when we say we need to get rid of ego is that we need to get rid of our personality. Well, guess what? Your personality has an energy, and it's going to fight you every step of the way. You're going to lose that battle because it's not going anywhere, Uh, especially if it doesn't have something else to replace it. So, So that's A. We've got a faulty definition of ego. Ego is actually a liaison between the internal and the external world, and that is all that it is. It is, um, it is a fulcrum, if you will. If you think about a fulcrum and you put a board on it, now you've got a, a seesaw. On one side of that is consciousness, and on the other side is unconsciousness. So we could weigh it down with unconscious material, and we would live into that chaotic world that is the unconscious, that is, mo- runs itself mostly on symbols. And we might end up having hallucinations and delusions or we could weigh it really down on the other side with a lot on the opposite side where consciousness is with a lot of external externalizations where we're trying very hard to live into an identity that the world wants from us. We become, for example, people pleasers and we can live so hard into that that we have no awareness of what's going on on the other side where it's unconscious. And we've probably dumped a lot of material into the unconscious in the process so we can weigh it down on either side but the ego is just the fulcrum that holds the board that's all it is it's not it's not the board itself and it's not one side or the other it's the fulcrum and we have to have it otherwise we will have no sorting mechanism between what's external and what's internal we would not know the difference and the people who are who don't know the difference um are are um egocentric is what we call them in the mental health field. They are matching their internal world with the external world so much that they can't see that there's a difference between me and the world. I have to be what the world needs me to be. Um, and the people that are egodystonic are people who, who can see that there's a self in there that is distinct and separate and differentiated from the world, and the world has its viewpoint and its way of working, and the self has its way of working and its viewpoint. Um, so it's healthier. The ego dystonic is healthier way of being, so that we're we are able to to differentiate self from other. Um, the people who have poor boundaries are the people who don't have a strong ego. They need to be able to to be able to say, wait, this is where you stop and I begin. Um, and the people who can't do that are people who have poor boundaries. They can't they can't decide. Where they stop and the other person begins they can't decide what their rights are as opposed to other people's rights they don't even usually think about their rights they think about what other people need from them instead so um so ego is very 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 important to our mental health and if we get rid of it we're setting ourselves up for some big trouble and and so i would definitely not recommend that we try to get rid of ego that is something i would never recommend on the other hand, getting rid of anything inside the psyche is also a, a setup so that we are not able to uh, make boundaries between parts of ourselves. So I'm going to say, okay, that, that, that thing in me is bad and I'm going to make it go away. Well, again, where is it going to go? It's going to go into the unconscious where we can't see it. It's still there. We just can't see it. And it's got an energy. We just can't see it. And the energy means that when it, we crack the door even slightly to the unconscious, it's coming out and it's not going to be pretty. You know, uh, that's the, the, for example, one of the most obvious examples that we have, but there are many, many others, but one of the most obvious examples is somebody who pushes anger away for a long periods of time and then one day somebody drops a proverbial straw and kaboom, and they say a bunch of things and do a bunch of things and then later they go, wow, I didn't even mean that. Well, yeah, you did mean it. You just didn't want to know you meant it. <laughs> and, and so that's a real obvious example of how that works. But it works that way in much less minor, much more minor ways, and, and it works that way constantly. The more we stick stuff in the unconscious, the more pressure there is in the unconscious to f- unfold into the conscious, because the, whole very, the very purpose of the unconscious is to develop consciousness. And we'll talk some more about that right after the break. So, we're going to come back in just a minute. Stay tuned for more right after this. Look forward to talking to you again. The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Could
1: you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
0: It's a new year and a new you emerging. Join Dr. Judith Long on the Eye of the Needle Show each Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Dr. Long features your call-ins and emails to her that emphasize healing and new information about personal transformation and ascension. You have your own unique gift, And it's something that only you can do in your own particular way. Explore that gift. Be all that you can be. The Eye of the Needle with Dr. Judith Long airs live Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave. All day long, we sort out clutter in our minds and bodies, all the while trying to find that healing modality that will work for us. Tune in to Intermission with host Patty Campbell. Each week, we'll explore a deeper spirituality and the healing process. Everyone has the capability to heal themselves. Let us help you find your capability in the hopes that you will pay it forward. Intermission Journey to Wellness is broadcast live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave.
2: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek Greater Awareness. The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down. So that you may get a Ph.D., a Doctor of Ministry, or in the Holistic Theology program, a Doctor of Theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are Holistic Theology, Holistic Health, Holistic Ministries, Metaphysics, and Parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students includes doctors, lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift but need to learn to hone it and credential it. It also includes students who simply wish to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What is most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, you can go to www.aiht.edu or contact admissions at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today about this whole issue of trying and how much effort we have to get into changing so that we can be spiritual people. And what we've said thus far is that the three three of the most common sort of dictates that we've received from, the, from our spiritual teachers is that, one, we need to be good and not be bad, and we need to really try hard to make that happen. Two, we need to be uh, getting rid of negative thoughts, negative energies by thinking only positive thoughts and feeling only positive feelings. And, of course, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. And three, we need to get rid of that ego and uh, live into the higher self. And, again, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. So all three of those paths that are supposed to lead us to a better, deeper, uh, more meaningful spirituality are actually telling us to try really, really hard to be somebody different than who we think we are. The problem is, in all of that, that we don't know who we are. And that's what we're going to get to, so we want to talk some more about that in a minute. But before we go there, I want to talk just a little bit more about the unconscious. Our world, our society, does not want us to know we have an unconscious. They want us to remain unconscious of the fact that we have an unconscious. So... There's a lot of energy that's sort of trying to perpetuate a a surface kind of existence where we live into image. We live into what we think other people need us to look like, walk like, act like, talk like, think like, feel like. And we live that way. We live into that identification as to who we are. We're cool if we do X, Y, and Z. We're not so cool if we don't do X, Y, and Z and uh we've we've got a name for every kind of, of of way of being there's the nerd there's the cool guy there's the jerk there's the you know we've got a name for every kind of way of being but it none of those are actually who we who we really are they are identities we've lived into and not who we actually are so when it comes to trying what we tend to be wanting to do is put on yet another mask and costume so that we don't know what we're up against and what we're up against, most of us, is our own unconscious. So let's talk a little bit about that. The unconscious is a reservoir of unnoticed material, not only ret- repressed material, but material that is about instincts, the body instincts. The, how does the heart keep beating without us knowing it? There's unconscious uh, impulses that create that—not uh, that are physical and mental, emotional, and spiritual, not just physical. Um, we there are um, there are there is a divine self that is down inside of our unconscious that we've pushed down there for so many centuries. We don't we think it's blasphemy to own it. Uh, and there is there are energies that are in the, the unconscious that are both what we would call good and what we would call bad. Most of us think that the unconscious is made up of all the nasty, dirty, rotten, you know, slimy impulses that we have, and that's why we call it a shadow because it's dark and and ugly and evil even, and we don't want to know about that. So, but it's actually not. It's got not only repressed material, and some of the repressed material is stuff that is really uh... kind and loving and compassionate for example a person who identifies as a bad guy and uh... you know i, I used to work in uh, jails doing assessments in jails and i would go in and they would say to me you know um, you need to stay away from me lady because i'm a bad guy And uh, they literally would say that to me and uh... and i began to sort of watch what went on in, in, in and hear about what went on there and Learned that so many times they would hide what they did that was good, what we would call good, compassionate or kind, um, get, bringing a gift to a fellow inmate, uh, you know, so that, but without letting him know that you brought it to him because that would make you a good guy instead of a bad guy, and you got to be a bad guy um, because that's how you identified, and because maybe it makes you feel safer, and maybe it does keep you safer in jails. So, you know that that whole Archetype means I've got to repress what other people would call good, so all my compassions are going to go into my unconscious. All my kindnesses are going to go into my unconscious. So, uh, so there's that. There's also um, the things that we don't know about the spiritual world that are always going on in there, that our dreams can tell us about. Rich, amazing treasures, full of, 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 of stuff like when we dream about finding a jewel or finding some antique that was is very expensive that's a dream that's saying that we we are on the verge of or have already found some kind of deep spiritual treasure that we need to hold on to and if we think about that in our real world we'll probably figure out what it is um sometimes we take that treasure and just toss it back into the unconscious again because we're just not paying attention so the unconscious is a reservoir. Carl Jung did a lot of research on, on in anthropological kinds of ways as well as psychological kinds of ways and did a lot of work on both himself and other people with regard to this thing of the unconscious. And what he said is that everything that has become conscious was once unconscious. In other words, everything that we have developed from the time we were we were created here, our origins here, to the present day, everything that we have developed in our conscious world was once in the unconscious. And that's a pretty amazing thought. What that means is that, that that the unconscious is the fertile ground for everything we are yet to become. It is not just a place where we can hide away all the bad things we don't want to know about ourselves. It is a place that will be the, 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 the seed for everything else that we are yet to become. It is potential, absolute potential, and it contains within it our own personal authentic potential as well as a collective archetype for our potential as a human race. Um, so the, it is a rich, um, fertile area that we can pay atten- begin to pay attention to, and it will give us more information and develop us yet further. But if we're living into the the archetype of the world or the paradigm of the world and and our society, what we're going to do is pretend to ourselves that we don't have an unconscious, that there's nothing to be known about who we are and what we do except what we see in our everyday worlds and our everyday interactions with other people. So I have people come into the office, for example, who will say to me, well, you know, I'm a nice guy. I mean, I think I'm not such a bad dude, right? I I do nice things. I think about other people first. I take care of my family and I pay my bills and I, you know, I'm good to my wife and good to my children and, you know, so yeah, I'm I'm not such a bad guy. And that's how they identify. And, And there's no further explanation necessary because that's who I am. That's what I see and that's all I need to know. So why am I so depressed? Well, that, was when, that is when the depression could be a spiritual emergency. It is a, a time when the, then the spirit of a person is coming forward to say, yeah, that's not enough. You need to know more about yourself. And your depression is m- forcing you to have to look deeper. And so that, that is it's come up out of the unconscious. We don't even know why we're depressed. Or say, for example, you're going through your day, everything's fine, and all of a sudden you get into a crying jag and you have no clue why. Well, that's your unconscious coming forward to say, hey, hey, look, pay attention. There's something going on here that's really important. And if you can stay with it, sit with it and ask it to inform you, literally ask it to inform you of what it's got to say, you'll find out in a few days, maybe a little time, you'll find out what it is that's going on in there. Because it has an energy. It has a, a need to let you know. It has, the unconscious has a need to develop you. It is always seeking wholeness. The unconscious is always seeking wholeness. The conscious world, on the other hand, is not necessarily always seeking wholeness. It is more or less always seeking safety, always seeking survival, because we've been taught that's what we're supposed to do. And what we, what we hold on to in the conscious world is all too often what we've been taught. On the other hand, we can develop some original thinking, and we develop that from the unconscious. When we start paying attention to what goes on inside of us, then it gives us information. We don't have to push it. We don't have to try hard. We don't have to make it happen. It comes up and informs us of what our next move can be if we're paying attention. So our emotions are very important. Our thoughts are very important. And what goes on in the unconscious is very important. And those things give us a, 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 an open door, if you will. And I'm not saying that every time you feel like hitting somebody in the face that you should go hit them in the face. I am saying, however, that that anger you feel might be a message to you about your life. One example that I've used a couple different times on this show is of a of a man who's in a job that where he's working with this coworker who is a relatively new employee, and the coworker has just stopped doing anything. And he goes and talks to the boss all the time and stands in the doorway of the boss, and they yak-yak all the time. And so you're having to do his job for him. You don't have to, but you think you have to because you've got to please the boss. So you do. You do his job for him, and you do your job, too. And it's really, really, really pissing you off. (laughs) And so you start... Uh, thinking about, well, you know, what's this all about? Why am I so angry? I'm just come home every day angry and I'm so sick of this. And, you know, well, the first thing that comes to mind was it's Joe's fault. Joe needs to be doing his job. And if he were just doing his job, I wouldn't have to be angry. That's an external way of looking at it. But if I look at it a little deeper and if I own my anger as a tool that is meant to be used for me, that is meant to tell me something about me, then... I take it from a whole different perspective. And then I can look at it and go, okay, I'm going to sit here and just let my anger inform me as to what's really going on and what can come forward is something like this. You begin to realize that, well, you know, maybe the reason I'm so angry is because I really hate this job anyway and Joe's making me have to do more of it. And I don't want to really have to think about that because I don't want to have to go through the trouble of finding another job so I'm really pissed off at Joe, and so I have to start maybe taking some responsibility for that, and maybe start looking for another job, or it might inform me of some psychological issue. Like my father was always hanging out with my brother, and I always thought he liked him me best, liked him best, and so he, you know, he got all the perks, and I got to do the hard work. And I resented that then and I'm resenting it now. And so I have to find a way to deal with it now so that I'm not repeating the trauma of the drama of my childhood. So, again, gotten a lot of good information from that anger. But I wouldn't have gotten it if I hadn't paid attention to the anger or if I'd just gone and slapped Joe around or if I'd gone and said, you know, you need to fire Joe. He's not doing his job. Whatever. So the issue isn't what's going on in the outside our emotions are not to be gifts to be given to the outside world they are meant to guide us and help us to know ourselves better so so that's what our emotions can do for us what and and the unconscious what the unconscious can do for us is inform us of the deeper energies going on so like when we have that dream about finding a treasure that tells us there's something really going on here that we need to pay attention to if we have a dream about uh, getting married to a certain kind of person that has, runs a certain kind of identity, then what is that? Am I marrying? Am I deciding to commit myself to something that's really not authentic for me or something that actually is very authentic for me? You know, this is how our dream, if we work with the symbology in our dreams, they can be very informative about what's really going on in there. And the more we pay attention to our own emotions and honor them, the more we pay attention to our own thoughts and take them, follow the trail to the emotion, the more we pay attention to what goes on in the unconscious and our dream world and the symbols that are being presented to us as sort of a riddle for us to figure out about what's going on inside of us, the more we know who we actually are, the more we begin to stand inside of ourselves and be that person. So when we started talking about working it at the beginning of the show. We're trying so hard to get rid of ego. We're trying so hard to get rid of um, negative thoughts and feelings. We're trying so hard to, to be good people and not be bad people. This, this way of doing it. Just being able to listen to what goes on inside of us and honor it with, with a little bit of thinking about you know, what does this mean? What are you trying to tell me? It's a communication between you and yourself. And that is effortless. It doesn't require that we do a lot of hard hard work. It requires that we we tune in. And there's an effortlessness to tuning in that 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 makes it genuine. So you know the difference when you have done you go do something that you really want to do for uncle J- Jimmy, you know. He wants you to come help it. you I mean, hey, help him plow his ground. That's hard work, right? Well, but if you really love it, you're really doing it for him because you love him, and you're really doing it for you because you love doing it, because you love plowing the ground, well, then it's not hard, is it? Then it's effortless effort. That's the difference. When you do something because you're in it to do it, Because your passion is there, because your body and your mind and your spirit are all moving in the same direction, congruently doing the same thing. There's no effort in that. But if you're doing it out of, I've got to do it, I have to do it, it's got to get done, there's a time limit, there's a deadline, and let me push myself to get it done, that is striving. It's not just work, it's striving. And in America... In the Western world, there is a whole lot of striving going on, whereas some of our ancient scriptures, ancient texts, even in the Christian Bible, say to us to cease striving to know who we are. So we're going to talk about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
0: What is spiritual spelunking? It's basically an exploration of the truth, our own unique truth. Every single person in the world has a reason to be here. Although we are told many things, it's ultimately up to us to figure it all out. The search continues throughout our entire lives. Join host Giles Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on this journey. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: With the divorce rate staggering in the Western world and a majority of men and women sleeping with someone other than their spouse, we need to look at relationships and marriage from another point of view. Listen for Contract for Love with your host, Lori J. Contracts are the best way to protect ourselves and our children from a society of broken marriages. You'll learn more about relationships than you ever thought possible. Tune in to Contract for Love every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the Seventh Wave Network.
0: Be visionary.
2: This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. We're back for the final segment talking today about working it, talking about the uh, effort and energy we've been taught by our spiritual teachers that we have to put into doing things like being good people, spending a lot of time in meditation or prayer, um, never thinking negative thoughts, so-called negative thoughts or having so-called negative feelings, um, thinking always positive, feeling always positive. Or getting rid of that ego to live into the higher self. And what we've said is all of those things are based in the old paradigm of duality, which is that we're separate from God and we have to strive really hard to reconnect with the divine. In other words, there's just no way to, to, uh, to connect to the divine unless we get rid of a big chunk of who we are. The problem is we don't even know who we are. And we, we spent the last second segment talking about the unconscious and what's in it. Well, what we said was part of what was in it was in, was repressed material. But another part of what's in it is everything we have yet to become. Because it is the, the source, the fountainhead of everything that is authentic. It, in fact, what we find in the unconscious, buried under all the identities and roles we play and repressed material, is the authentic self, which I call, for this segment, the divine self. Depending on who I'm talking to, if I'm talking to uh, psychologists, I t- generally call it the authentic self. But it's also, in a spiritual sense, the divine self. It is who we are as a divine being. So, we are... Uh, so living authentically means living into that deeper, truer, more whole self where we can stand inside of ourselves, make our own decisions, think our own original thoughts, use our feelings as, as, as messages to us, from us, and about us. And, um, and, and we become whole. We become whole people. We integrate the various aspects of ourselves. We don't send them away. We don't repress them. We integrate them. And so, let's talk a little bit about cease striving. Okay, so cease striving to know that I am God is a passage in Psalms in the uh, Old Testament of the Christian Bible and the, and the uh, Tanakh of the Jewish Bible. And basically, uh, we can take that to mean, as it has been translated, stop trying so hard, I'm God, I'm the big guy, you're not. <laughs> Uh, that's the way it's been translated down through the centuries and, and interpreted down through the centuries. But actually, the way I interpret that is cease striving to know that I am, that Andrea is, that you are divine. And that does tend to happen. When we can meditate and really get into the place where we're just at rest, the mind is at rest, the body's at rest, the the, the spirit is at rest just sort of in an observing mode, just listening and, and, and being present with whatever it is that's in there, what happens is we find the divine self. If only for a few minutes we connect with something inside of us that is very rich, very powerful, very profound, very mystical, um, uh, that gives us answers, that grants great peace, that uh... really tells us informs us even for just a few seconds or a few minutes of who we are so and that information is known on an emotional and psychological and spiritual level it's not necessarily empirical although there are some people out there doing tests on uh... people who are meditating and finding a change in the brain that happens at the same time so we're, we're getting closer to empirical there too um, the idea here is that when we stop striving, when we stop working so hard to be somebody else than who we are, we become who we are. And it is a paradox. And so it's very Zen in that sense. Uh, and, and in fact, the, in Buddhism, there is much to be said in the sacred texts about something known as Tathagatagarbha which is uh, the self-no-self no self con- concept there. And a lot of people translate that to mean that we're there there is no real me. There's just one big divine blob. <laughs> and I'm just one particle of that, and so therefore I shouldn't be trying to be me. I should just give me up. And that goes right along with some of the old Christian concepts that that... Uh, we are trying to be. We're trying to be the Christ in us, rather than being who we actually are. We're supposed to die to self and let the Christ live in us. We're supposed to sacrifice self for Christ. And neither, whether you're talking about Tathagata or whether you're talking about the Christian version of that, we it, it, it that translation is not accurate. What is what is really true is that when we are who we actually are in, in its own unique but also connected to the uh, to the the oneness that is everything then we are uh, we know we know that we are self and no self at the same time that's what zen the tathagatagarbha concept is all about it's not trying to tell us to give up self for this big glob of nothingness that is everything it is saying that your uniqueness is a part of the the wholeness that is oneness. So we don't have to give up who we are. We can be that in its entirety and all of its uniqueness and idiosyncratic stuff, all of that, that can belong to us and yet still be completely in the divine nature. We don't believe that, however, because, and it's really hard for us to my, wrap our minds around because we are so stuck in the duality trance state. Uh, that tells us that we are separate from the divine, and how could it possibly be true that we could be ourselves, and also be divine beingness, but it is true, and that's what the Buddha got to when he came up with the concept of Tathagatagarbha, and that is what uh, is true also in the Bhagavad Gita, when, uh, um, when the the, the passages that read that the divine self is all there is and that the people who know themselves as divine self understand that concept that it's profound and that fire can't burn it and water can't drown it and nothing can stop it because it's eternal and everlasting and it's who we actually are. So it's in a lot of the old, I could go further into the Vedas and into the, into the some of the, uh, Quran even has some of the those texts that really convince, are pretty convincing that it's saying the same exact thing, that we are one with God and, and the God, Allah, whatever, uh, Krishna, whatever you call uh, your God, the divine essence is what I call it. Uh, it, it basically means that we are, that we are a part of that. We don't have to give up our uniqueness for it, but we are a part of it. A wave, I mean, a very easy kind of metaphor for that is the wave on the ocean is unique in its own right, but it's still a part of the ocean. So we don't have to give up our uniqueness. We don't have to stop being who we are to be also divine. And and so we would look at that and we would say, well, aren't I supposed to sort of scrape off some of the bad things about myself? Aren't I supposed to like change my thinking? Aren't I supposed to be trying to be more compassionate and trying to be more loving and trying to be more kind? Aren't I supposed to be trying here? Am I just supposed to like get in touch with the deeper self and be that? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. We are. That is what it's all about is getting in touch with the deeper beingness and being that. Being present with that and allowing it to be us and us to be it. So, no, there is nothing to scrape off. It is true that the more in touch we get, it, get get with the authentic self, the more compassionate we become. But that doesn't mean that we're supposed to start then trying to live out of a moral code. And here's what I mean by that. There's so many of us who think that we should try and strive after a moral code because it will get us to goodness But all it does is get us to be whitewashed sepulchres. That's what what Jesus was saying in uh, the the New Testament Gospel. The Pharisees had all the rules. They had all the behaviors. They had all the rituals. They had it all down, what a person is supposed to do. And they were doing it. And they were trying to get other people to do it too. Only problem is it wasn't doing anything for the inner nature of humanity. It wasn't doing anything for the inner human. It wasn't changing that. What changes that, what helps that to become more clear, is is not identifying with the old identity, but identifying with the divine self. And we do that by spending time with it. We do that by resting, not striving, resting in presence with divine self. We do that by, on a daily basis, spending time with who we are as divine beingness, and and that doesn't have to be sitting down and saying Om. Um, it doesn't have to mean that we spend hours and hours and hours in meditation. Some of the t- our our master teachers are teaching us that that's what we have to do. Um, it 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 might mean your your meditation might be uh, somewhat elongated on some days, but not so much on other days. It might mean that you spend two minutes in meditation. Uh, that's seated or laying down or something like that. But the rest of the day you spend in what I call and what Vij not Han calls walking meditation, where you're walking through your life in a state of meditation where you're staying constantly in touch with divine self. So you know it doesn't necessarily mean that we're we're going to be striving to do that because it's a very restful state. It's a very effortless effort. It's you are doing it without effort. It's like I said a little while ago, you've plowed that field, but you love plowing that field, so it's not you're not really working. It's something you do because it's in you to do, not because you have to do it. And there's something else really, really, really important here. We belie the very nature of love when we put a should in front of it. You should love your neighbors as yourself. Well, The minute you say that, you've made it into a rule, and it ceases to be love. It's not coming from the real authentic self inside of you. Now it's coming from a moral code that you have to obey, and that puts you back into an identity. I'll be a good person if I can love these people. I'll be a kind person if I can love these people. That's a bargain. That's a bargain. That's not authentic. So when you hear yourself saying, well, I should be more loving, question that. If you're not more loving, stay with that for a little while and find out what that's about, you know. And and try to do that without judging. Uh, I just used the try word there. Let me change that. Uh, if you can manage to be able to just sit with it and let it inform you of what's really going on, then there's no effort in that. So it, what we're talking about is the process of unfolding. That is a process that carries you. You don't have to carry it. It carries you. And where it carries you is into the deeper, more intimate, more sacred ground of yourself. Into the holy of holies. Into the, into the inner sanctum. Where you are totally united with you. And who you are is God. And uh, by God, I, I don't mean any particular God of any particular religion. I mean the divine. So when, when we come to that, when, we, when we've done that, that piece, when we've been able to spend time uh, with the divine self and have really experienced it, we know what that's like. So I would encourage you, if you have a meditational practice, not to make it work. Not to say, well, I've got to sit down for 20 minutes every day. And if I do, then I'll be a better person. But rather to just be with it and let it carry you. Uh, I'm not saying that you should... Do away with all discipline. But I am saying that if the discipline comes from your real self, then it's going to be genuine and it's going to be effortless effort. If it comes from some should, some ought to, some I've got to bargain with the world about who I am, I've got to be a better person, I've got to, I've got to work hard and try hard to make myself a better person. If it's coming from that, it's not going to be authentic. It's a game you're playing. It's a game we all have played and will play again, but it's a game. So if we catch ourselves playing that game, we can say, all right, this is me playing the game again. I know this is what I've been taught to do, but it's not the real deal. So let me just be with what's going on inside me without judging it, to just be with it and see what it tells me. Because it's got information for me. You're sort of sitting down with the little child and saying, tell me what's going on with you. And little children don't often have words, so they're going to show you. And your emotions will show you. Your thoughts will show you. You just have to be patient and let that be what it is. So you can truly cease striving now if you want. And you will you will accomplish you. And there is no greater achievement than that. To be who you absolutely are. That's what authentic living is all about. So we're done for today. And we're going to be back next week uh, talking to one of our uh, guests and And so I look forward to that. hope you will as well. And uh, so remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
0: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.